Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Retro Futurist Culture Podcast. This is your host, Hoptimus. We're going to get into some crazy-ish today. If you've ever gone back in time, but not gone back in time, but had things go back in time, and you can't figure out if you're back in time, you're listening to the right episode. I'm going to be joined today by Duke and Tony of Tony Tall Tony's Tall Tales. And we're going to talk about the 2020 film by Christopher Nolan, Tenant. Tony, Duke, how you guys doing? I've got endorphins flowing through me. <laughs> I've I've uh, I've also been drinking a very tasty uh, cream ale, so I'm ready. Ooh. I have uh, Rams peanut butter whiskey here. So, <laughs> Tony, how are you doing? Ignorance is ammunition. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. First shot fired. First shot fired. <laughs> I'm doing all right, brother. Thanks for having me. <laughs> That's great. So, Tenet, 2020 science fiction action thriller film, written and directed by Christopher Nolan, produced with Emma Thomas, uh, co-production between the United Kingdom and the United States. We've got uh, John David Washington, who I thought was great, Robert Pattinson, Elizabeth, let me see if I can say her name right, Dabiki, Dimple Caparada, Michael Caine, and Kenneth Branagh. Film follows a secret agent who learns to manipulate the flow of time to prevent an attack from the future that threatens to annihilate the present world. Yeah. Um, who wants to go first as far as, like, what was the first, your first take, either when you first saw the movie or your first impression of the trailers or just your, your initial thoughts upon seeing the movie? Let's go with Duke. So I I have a confession to say that I am a major Christopher Nolan fan. I've loved all of his movies. Um, for whatever reason, the way he makes movies really speaks to me. So when I saw the trailer, I was super hyped. I had no idea, though, from the trailer that any of the stuff that's going on there was going on. I thought, I seriously thought it was um, because I saw the extended one in front of some other movie i was seeing mm -hmm. i seriously thought that it was going to be a movie about um this case in history where uh somewhere in russia with the chechnyans and and an opera house and stuff that actually happened i thought that that was what the film was going to be about i was like oh cool he's going a tactical route this is pretty cool uh, so yeah when i actually saw the movie very surprised and it melted my brain it really did <laughs> but but i felt I felt enlightened too. Like I felt smarter after watching it smarter because I watched something. I had no clue what was going on. Yeah. That's my take. All right. <laughs> Tony. Yeah. I know uh, this came out obviously during the pandemic and there was a lot of back and forth on whether it was, it was, you know, originally going to come out in theaters, was it still going to come out in theaters and that back and forth. So I did not see it in the theaters. Um, I actually saw it when it came out on Blu-ray, um, and I rented it. Uh, my wife and I watched it. My initial impression was, yeah, I I did not like it, but for two mainly two big reasons. One was the sound, um, not necessarily sound design, but some of the choices made with the dialogue. The dialogue is uh, very difficult to hear, at least on my system. It was very difficult to hear dialogue. And then just kind of that, 
you know, some of the early impressions that other people have had where it was extremely complex <laughs> and you really do have to, I, you just, you, it's, it's one of those weird movies where you understand what they are saying, but you don't understand what they're talking about. Dude, 100%. <laughs> it's in my life. Like we had to pause it and she's like, I hear what they're saying, but I don't understand what they're saying. <laughs> and so it had this very interesting uh, uh, initial experience. And when I saw the trailer, I was very excited about it because I, too, am a Christopher Nolan fan. Um, but I think the trailers, too, were like I was I was bracing myself for, oh, fuck, this is going to be this is going to be a trip. Right on. Uh, so I remember seeing the trailers and I'm, I'm, I'm like you guys, I I. I've seen everything Christopher Nolan's done except for Dunkirk. I haven't got around to that yet. Don't shoot me. Um, <laughs> it's been on the stack. I just haven't got to it yet. And um, I think because I, I kind of have like World War II burnout, like a little bit, mm -hmm. like I'm like, Ugh. like I haven't even watched 1917 yet either. Don't shoot me. Um, <laughs> no, I get you, Hop. It's, it's kind of the same thing. It took us a long time to watch 1917. So... Um, Saw the trailer looked cool, but it was, you know, the pandemic. And then um, one of uh, a friend of mine that I know, he went and saw it. He's like, dude, you got to see this movie. And I was like, really? And I was just like kind of dragging my heels. <laughs> and then it came out on Blu-ray and another friend was like, you got to see this movie. And he just brought me the Blu-ray. He's like, just borrow it. Watch it. Watch it tonight. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I sat down, threw it in the player. And uh, I'm like you, Tony. I, I don't know about I have a I have a really nice system here set up but i watched it the first time with headphones uh -huh. uh, because i was watching it at night and uh um i didn't really have any problems with the dialogue but i've read a lot where people said it was hard to hear especially in the theater and i can sort of hear in the mix the music is really kind of loud and overpowering and i almost yeah. think this fourth or fifth time watching it, i almost think that's on purpose but, yeah, but I'll, get, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute um because i just noticed something watched it this last time anyway uh the first time i saw it I'm watching it, and about 30 minutes in, I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah. And, yes. and I yes. just, like, my brain was all, you need to stop. I was like, fuck you, we're going to watch this whole movie. We're going to watch the whole movie, and then we're going to figure it out at the end. And after the movie was done, I was like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> yeah. I, I watched the extras on the Blu-ray. And it was pretty crazy to see, like, the genesis of the idea and the script mm -hmm. and the people working on the movie. And they had the same idea, like, how are we going to make this fucking movie? Are you yeah. crazy? Like, it's kind of cool to see that. And and I think part of what what I'm fascinated by with this movie is how complexly layered the film is. Um, it's not so much like a character-driven story as almost a way to show that you can show time paradox in a linear way and i was that's i think that's that was it was almost like an experiment of chris Rinaldi's like how can i make a film that shows a time paradox told linearly but with the time paradox taking place on screen and you're just like what yeah. like <laughs> so okay so we're all kind of on the same page at the present and uh but it's also one of those movies that it rewards with multiple viewings where you start to see yeah. like uh, oh oh and you catch and and not that that not that i'm defending the film for that reason 
but it does get better the more you watch it because you really start to understand where he was going what he was doing i really feel like he was really trying to push the language of cinema in a direction it's never gone pretty sure this is the first movie that's ever really done this uh anything else where we've had a time travel story when you travel in time it changes the future but this one doesn't and that's part of the genius of it well that's a great point too hot because it almost correlates or comes for a circle with his first film so it's almost like that he is the trajectory too of his film career because memento is almost dealing with the same sort of uh theme in that film that tenet is but now it's almost as if he's done the inverse you know he's inverted his own film <laughs> yeah that's true but that was a singular character affected in momentum whereas this is like multiple but i, I see what true you're but it feels like he ex- it, it feels like he expanded upon the same idea that he was initially germinating in that film. And he seems to be, kind of, yeah, continuing. Yeah, he seems it. to be like kind of uh, a little bit obsessed with time, yeah. dimensional travel <laughs> between Memento, Inception, Interstellar, and Tenet. You know what I mean? Well, even Dunkirk has some of it too. Oh, Dunkirk. spoilers! Yeah. <laughs> you need to see it man even if you have world war ii fatigue it's it's very original from world yeah war II. yeah it's like i said it's on the list i just haven't gotten to it yet um cool so let's get a little bit more into detail in the story and then we can kind of interject and talk about things one of the things that uh i found was real interesting and this is i think part of the genesis of the whole story is there is a sanskrit rune called the sator square that's a palindrome and it has all these words in it that you can read forward backwards left right upside down and it's sator aripo tenet opera rotas and then they're all the same backwards like and if you watch the movie with that in mind all of those names the villain is sator a repo is star dealer tenant is the organization the opera house is the beginning and as duke brought up uh actually duke they did base that scene on that incident you're talking oh, about okay yeah and then rotus is the security company another really interesting thing is that there was a um conspiracy theory where supposedly the cia was going to try and make a time machine to reverse 9-11 and the head of the cia at the time's name was george Tennant. i don't know if that's coincidence no or just some weird <laughs> shit man <laughs> that's some crazy shit <laughs> well i have to say knowing just how obsessed christopher nolan is and how detail oriented i mean it's entirely possible christopher nolan in my opinion is he's basically like a stanley kubrick of our time stanley no i I will i will double down on you with that he's stanley kubrick with alfred hitchcock put together yeah it's kind of crazy yeah um yeah i would totally agree with that he's he's one of the few like right now i would say like auteurs of cinema like he's making cinema he's not making i mean they're films but these are films that people like to watch and like we're doing right now we're picking apart and we're talking about the themes and it's 
fast you know this isn't just a popcorn film this is a like what the fuck did i just watch and why is this so fascinating even if you don't like this movie when you watch it you're like what the this is crazy like it's i i don't know um but anyway so we get into the story and it opens with a uh i also really like this we don't get he doesn't spoon feed you like a lot of you know a lot of modern movies they really spoon feed you with like too much background information about the character and their family and they had a nice life and all this stuff boom this movie starts bam we're a cia agent the protagonist and we're in uh an extraction operation at the opera house and after seizing an artifact the protagonist is captured by mercenaries he's tortured before consuming a suicide pill he wakes up and it's not really a suicide pill it was a test of loyalty and the artifact was lost the protagonist is recruited by an organization called tenant scientist briefs him on bullets with introverted entropy and that's where shit gets kind of crazy meaning they move backward through time the protagonist meets his handler Neil through a CIA contact. They trace the inverted bullets to an arms dealer, Priya Singh in Mumbai. That's a really cool scene where they do that that bungee like, yeah, and even that that right bungee. there, <laughs> that right there is another palindrome because normally people jump off with of the bungee rope, but they're yeah. going mm, up yeah. with the bungee. Like everything he does in this movie is there for a reason, and it's pretty interesting how he does that. Um, and they learn Priya is a member of Tenet, and her cartridges were purchased and inverted by a Russian oligarch, Andre Sator. So there's another one of that Sator Square. The protagonist approaches Sator's estranged wife, Kat, an art appraiser who falsely authenticated a forged Goya drawing. She tells him that Sator purchased the drawing from the forger Aripo, again from the Sator Square, and is using Kat's authentication as blackmail to control her in their relationship. The protagonist and Neo plot to steal the drawing from a Freeport storage facility at the Oslo airport where they fend off two masked men who emerge from a device. Afterwards, Priya explained the device is a turnstile, a machine that can invert the entropy of objects and people, and that the masked men were the same person traveling in opposite directions through time. I'm going to pause for a second because... This is pretty interesting, and this goes to a scientific discovery with like the particle effect of protons and neutrons and how one moves forward and one moves backwards. And that's basically what they're talking about in this movie. When they go backwards, time is always linear. They're just moving in the inverse direction of time. They're not actually like, we're not jumping, we're just moving backwards. And I thought this was a really creative way to do that. Like I said, I, I don't think there's anything before this film that's done it. Um, Kat introduces the protagonist to Sator and learns the drawing is intact. Sator plans to kill the protagonist, but the protagonist saves Sator's life after Kat attempts to drown him. <laughs> Sator and the protagonist strike a partnership to retrieve a case supposedly containing plutonium-241. Uh, in Talon, the protagonist and Neil ambush a convoy and steal the case, which actually contains the artifact lost at the opera house. They are ambushed by an inverted satyr holding cat hostage. The protagonist gives an empty case to satyr who retreats after receiving it. The protagonist rescues cat, but is soon captured and taken to a warehouse with a turnstile. In the warehouse, the inverted satyr, who's speaking backwards, <laughs> shoots cat with an inverted round while he demands the location of the artifact. Tenant ops led by Ives arrive and rescue the protagonist while Sater escapes into the turnstile. The group takes Cat through the turnstile to aid her, healing her inverted, inverted wound. 
the now inverted protagonist travels back in time to to the ambush site where he unsuccessfully attempts to retrieve the artifact. Oh, that was a really cool scene. We'll get into that in a minute. Seder got a hold of, and the protagonist's car is overturned and set on fire by Seder, but Neil saves him. <laughs> the protagonist, Neil, and Kat travel back in time to the Freeport in Oslo. If you're not lost yet, you might be. The protagonist <laughs> fights his best self, enters the turnstile, and reverts, followed by Neil and Kat. Later, Pre explains that Seder is collecting the artifacts to assemble an algorithm. This is This is the MacGuffin of the whole movie, really which can catastrophically invert the entropy of Earth. So I guess in the future of this timeline, the future people figured out that we ruined the planet and they're trying to build this weapon that's going to invert time itself and restore the planet. But the us now know that that possibly could also just destroy the planet and everything on it. And that's the whole reason they're doing this. Um. Cat reveals that Sator is dying from cancer, probably because he's been chasing all these radioactive uh, objects. And they think that Sator's using a dead man switch to send the location of the algorithm into the future. Cat believes Sator will travel back in time to commit suicide during their vacation in Vietnam. The protagonist, Neil Cat, and Tenant troops travel back in time to that day where Cat poses as her past self to keep Sator alive long enough for Tenant to secure the algorithm. Tenet tracks the algorithm to Seder's hometown, Stalsk 12, which is an undocumented uh, Russian-like sleeper town during the Cold War, where it's heavily guarded. This is another reason why I'm a Cold War nerd, so this movie had a lot of that stuff in it that I was digging on. Uh, they launch a temporal pincer movement, so they have a group of guys going through forward in time, and then another group that's gone backward in time, who already went backwards once and told the group forward in time what's going to happen. If you're not confused, you should be. Um, with non-inverted inverted troops making a simultaneous assault Seda reveals people in the future want him to find and gather the algorithm pieces in the hopes of reversing the effects of climate change an inverted soldier re- wearing a red trinket sacrifices himself to save the protagonist and Ives as they attempt to secure the algorithm meanwhile in Vietnam Cat kills Seda hoping the tenant team is able to secure the algorithm the protagonist, Neil, and Ives break up the algorithm in part ways. The protagonist noticed that Neil is wearing that same red trinket. Neil reveals he was recruited by the protagonist in Neil's past. Since Kat knows too much, Priya attempts to have her assassinated, but Priya is killed by the protagonist who has concluded that he is the mastermind behind Tenet. Uh, yeah. So End scene. <laughs> and... If you're confused and you haven't seen the movie, you're going to be confused probably till you watch it at least twice. Um, and even but then, after, you're still, you're still going to yeah, be <laughs> a little bit. But once you realize that the entire movie is based on that Seder Square palindrome, it starts to make a lot more sense. Like yeah. I was like, oh, like basically in this movie, even if you travel through time, you can't change what is happening you can go back but that doesn't change the future when you go back it was meant to be like there's no you can't change your destiny he's basically saying that there's free will but there's not you can't change the flow of time um which apparently scientifically is called a closed loop theory right right um one of the things that uh i kind of noticed the first time and the second time i caught right away is that neil 
his cat's son, Maximilian. And if you take the end of Maximilian and go in inverted with that, you get Neil, those last four letters. Um, and it makes sense. He speaks kind of like his father. He's got blonde hair. Um, and it would be at the end of the movie is the beginning of the movie. And the beginning of the movie is the end of the movie, which is really weird. But that's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's also the thing, too, where it's it's not that they can't change... It's not that they're trying to change events. They're trying to change the flow of entropy, right? Because that is what ultimately is going to allow the future version to get out of the environmental crisis, right? Right. But the tenant organization believes that this bomb will ruin i mean it'll it will invert time to the point where it destroys all life on the planet so well i thought it was the big thing was it was actually Seder goes against what was the initial plan like he wants to remove all of it so his whole plan was to set it up where past present and future right gets because destroyed he's by dying all. yes yeah right <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, right. You know what's interesting about this is, I think you, you you briefly touched on it. Where did Nolan ever say how how long it took him to write this script? Five I, years. Five years. <laughs> yeah. Which totally makes sense. Yeah, it's a complicated screenplay. Yeah, because even like this little bitty script that i'm trying to do like i find trouble just putting the pieces together let alone something that is dealing with such more complex theories and 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 physics and it's just interesting because obviously he's earned the cachet to do this um but it's still fascinating to me it's almost like it shouldn't work but it does in that weird way you know what i mean where this should not be this should never have been a big block Buster movie, but he got it made, and I'm sure a lot of other people. Well, even uh, uh, um, Washington, when he read it, he was like, still when they were shooting it, he still didn't know what was going on. <laughs> yeah, well, they and it's if you if you uh, have the Blu-ray, the behind the scenes, they they talk about that. The people that were all making it, they were they were lost constantly, yeah. and they were like, they had tons of visual maps to map out. Okay, we got to do this, and I could have. Only imagine setting up the shots to shoot a movie like yes. this. Probably insane. Um, so I give one of so the much other... props, even though if I did, I didn't necessarily like the movie. I give so much props for what Nolan has created. Yeah, the creativeness in yes. this movie is is amazing. Uh, he even went so far as they would film some of the scenes with the actors walking forward and then they would film the same scenes with the actors walking backwards yeah. and talking it. backwards yeah yeah what? yes that actually talk backwards that is not edited so uh kenneth branagh is uh, i believe irish northern irish so he had to do a russian accent and then mm -hmm. also do that backwards backwards which <laughs> speaks to him i mean he's a great actor he's also a great yeah. uh, theater actor too uh, special trivia: He was in the running to be Obi Wan Kenobi for the prequel movies, but it really, to, yeah, yep, he was one of the early like picks for young Obi Wan. But I think he turned it down. So Definitely. probably it was probably for the best. I mean, he was at the time he was he was doing a lot of theater stuff. Um, 
what's I going to say about the story or about um yeah and even like the fight the fight scene where the protagonist mm-hmm. fights himself they actually did they practiced the fight forwards and then they learned how to do the fight backwards and i'm watching that and i'm like how do you unroll like some of these moves backwards that must have been crazy for them to rehearse these fight scenes well, no yeah. it was interesting because when on the second rewatch i did notice that there seemed to be a point where it was almost as if um the protagonist figured out noticed that time started moving well, he started figuring out how to move with the other protagonists. Like in the mm. first, in the first part, he was moving. He does. He's his bearings are all off, and all of a sudden, it's almost like he starts going back into that feeling moment. You know, like he starts going by instinct, and he starts following into it. Um, it's very subtle, but I don't know. It's, for me, I I kind of picked up something where he had that 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 moment of realization. Oh, that certainly happened. Yeah, he he was he was getting his ass kicked, um, and then he he slowly kind of realized what was going on, and it became a more even-handed fight. But I think that speaks to uh, the talent that John David Washington has. Yeah. Uh, who, for anyone who doesn't know, that's Denzel Washington's son. Yeah. I didn't until I watched the movie, and then I was like, "Whoa, oh, really? Good. I need to see. I guess he's in." Uh, Black Black Klansman. That's Klansman. a very good movie. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen it yet. So yeah, that's another one of my. Stats. It's crazy too. Like once you know that he sounds so much like his dad. Yeah, <laughs> he does. You start yeah. hearing it, and even some of the mannerisms, you're like, oh man. <laughs> but it's so good. And I gotta give major props to uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson. I, I'm not a huge fan sometimes of his work, but he, out of anybody I feel like in the movie, you know, save for Neil maybe, is the only actor that seems completely confident in what he's talking about. <laughs> when he's delivering these lines, you just start, I just was totally, okay, I was like, I've fallen. I was like, okay, this guy knows exactly what he's talking about. <laughs> Even right. though he's talking about like, temporal pincer movement he's talking about how the turnstiles work it just it was so convincing he was just in it 100 percent. let's uh let's take a moment and we're going to take a quick break so we can check out what else is going on on ruminations radio network Hey, this is Charlie, Triple C, from Brevity Box, a new and interesting podcast from the Ruminations Radio Network. If you're a fan of podcasts, we have a lot of great content to offer. Come check out our diverse group of podcasts and hosts at ruminationsradionetwork.com. And welcome back to Retro Futurist Culture. We're talking about Tenet, or are we talking about Taco Cat, or Taco Cat, or Tenet? I'm here with Duke and Tony. Um, if you haven't, if you missed the first half, we were talking about the main plot, and now we're getting into the nuances of the film, the actors, the effects, the themes. Um, one of the things I, I really enjoyed, guys, was the uh, the music. Um, normally, Nolan has Hans Zimmer, who's done just about everything with him, and he ended up with uh, Ludwig Göransson, who did the music for The Mandalorian and Black Panther, and one of the things that's really interesting, and once you know this and you watch the movie again, you can hear it, is he recorded these melodies um, 
that would sound the same forward and backwards. And when the teams at the end of the movie are going <laughs> in the in the forward and backwards, you really pick it up on it. And it's now after that, like you notice more and more during the movie how those different melodies were playing backwards and forwards, whether they were yeah. moving forward in time or backward in time. And that's why I also think that part of the sound mix is he had the music almost like a silent movie where he was trying to tell the story more visually, even though with this movie, that would be really tough to, uh, this is a complicated story to try and tell visually, but maybe with that music, he was trying to use it as a notation of what was going on. I thought that was a cool uh, effect that they had in the movie. Yeah. Cause it seemed like there was also too a great deal of um, dissonant chords used. Yeah. Especially for some of those scenes that you were talking about. And I don't know if anybody else noticed it, but it seemed like they injected a breathing noise. That's Nolan's time. breath. Mm. That's Christopher Nolan's breath. And it, and it was it was it just my imagination? It seemed to appear only when Seder showed up. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's very interesting. I, obviously, I didn't notice it the first time, and then Hop, I rewatched it with headphones this time, and yeah, it was much more clear the dialogue, even though I cheated and still had the subtitles on because <laughs> I wanted. Wanted to make sure I didn't miss anything. Right. Yeah, I was noticing a lot more of those nuances with uh, the mix and the sounds. Yeah. Um, what were some standout? Uh, what were some standout moments for you, Duke? What What parts of this movie really just blew you away, or maybe not even, or just surprised you? Uh, a lot of the action sequences. Honestly, uh, I I always appreciate watching nolan uh how he takes on action and violence it, it just it seems both gritty and extremely realistic which is why i like uh, his batman films over all the other ones um i mean the car chase scene uh the the plane scene the bungee jumping everything blew my mind it it the whole thing blew my mind. It was one of those movies where at the end I was kind of sitting down and, and just not doing anything and trying to figure things out. But the movie does a lot of things technically, specifically that I'm impressed with. Uh, first of all, no green screens were used. And in an era where it seems everything is green screen, yeah. Nolan wanted it to be 100% practical, 100% yeah. real in camera and that's gonna be yeah like the oh yeah so like that part where that building's blowing up backwards and forwards that was yeah. all practical effects i was like what <laughs> yeah two miniatures uh filmed side by side basically and then so they only used a total of 280 uh visual effects shots so computer editing um, which apparently is uh the average for a standard romantic uh, comedy so mm -hmm. you imagine this some of that was used for those buildings exploding and reverse exploding. Wow. Well, I remember too reading somewhere or hearing about it where when he gave the script to his wife and the airplane scene, and, you know, obviously he's like, I want to do it with a real airplane. <laughs> she was like, <laughs> she had some reservations or she told him, do you really think you're going to be able to do this? <laughs> like, and I love it too, the scene when Neil's even describing it. It's like, I want to crash an airplane. <laughs> like, you eat, the protagonist looks at it. I was like, well, you want to do what? <laughs> it's, 
Well, that's, you know, that's, that's going to be the dramatic part. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that's, that stood out for me. Like, cause again, the, like you guys talk about the, the, the practical effects that he still strives to do that you don't see in a lot of modern big blocks, big blockbuster filming. It's, it's still pretty incredible. And he bought that plane. <laughs> really? Yes. He bought that plane. It oh was apparently gosh. cheaper to actually do than what he originally planned, which was to have miniatures and uh, CGI. So wow. it was somehow cheaper to buy the plane and <laughs> crash it into a hangar. Wow. That's crazy. That's such a great scene, too. And it's like you see it the first time, you know, because the entire movie, once you once you figure out this entire movie is really a palindrome, right? We go through these scenes almost twice each time backwards, like forward and then backwards. Right. So there's the first time with the free with the Oslo airport, and then we go back and they're doing it backwards. So you get to see that twice uh, from the different viewpoints. It's pretty interesting. Um, I was like, I was a little bit like you Duke when I first, like, I remember watching the trailer, um, and then when I saw the movie, I was like, oh, yeah, it's like a kind of a modern Cold War thriller kind of a thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's how it starts. And I was totally sucked in right there. Um, and then it gets then, you know, the inverted bullet happened. And when I first saw it, I was like, wait, what the hell just happened? Um, one of the things that's really just gorgeous is this movie shot on 65 and and IMAX and man when something that's shot on that it just looks so good like i'm oh, yeah, stickler visually for film i mean i have a calibrated 55 inch qled display like i'm really picky up 4k player I, i'm really into like high quality for the visuals and this film is a gangbuster as far as cinematography goes um it's one of the best looking cleanest films i've seen in a long time and yeah, visually just blew me away and and again all the effects being in camera is just gonna hold up far longer than a bunch of cg would have um and i know they they had some issues reversing the imax cameras i know they had to find <laughs> a workaround to make that work um I know he likes. I'm sad that I didn't get to see this in the theater, like at an IMAX. It probably would have been awesome. Yeah, I just saw it in an ordinary theater, and I would have loved to have seen it at an IMAX too, because it was amazing in theaters. Yeah, I think um, probably. Oh, that one of the scenes that's really cool uh, when they go to it twice is the whole car chase scene, and there's that one random car that flips over. And then when you go back, it's the protagonist who's gone inverted, yeah. and that's such a cool like thing to see. And how he that artifact bounces across, like he basically gave it to him, not even realizing that he gave it to him. And it's almost that whole theme that you can't stop what's going to happen, but they have to do they have to do these things to make what's going to happen happen, so they can f change the future at that point. A paradox with the, with the yeah, with the algorithm. And the I end. think that's the biggest thing that's been that was out of the whole movie. The paradox is what tripped me up the most is because it requires a level of thinking about things 
almost in the inverse or that it's the one and the same thing, you know, like where it's almost as both realities exist at the same time. And it's, that's the biggest thing that I felt like I've grappled with because, you know, obviously we're so conditioned to think in a lin linear manner um, that these paradoxes are, yeah, they're fascinating. Yeah, that was so cool. It would have been, it probably would have broke the film to see what the future was. Like, we never get to see that, right? Yeah. We never, we're only living in this stretch of these, of this particular time loop that we're in from when we meet the protagonist at the opera house. And it's, it, it even though it goes forward in time by a couple weeks, we go backwards in time by a couple weeks to the same day because the opera house heist is the same day as the pincer move. Yeah, so it, it's just one loop. <laughs> yeah. It's one big loop, and it really kind of messes with you. And but once you, like I said, once you figure that out, you're like, oh. <laughs> well, I think it's fascinating because it goes back to your uh, earlier point, Hop, where it's it's an it's such a fascinating film from that perspective, as it's not necessarily even the characters <clears throat> that are the focal point. It's it's this whole concept of of what is uh, what is happening it's almost like the the characters are just the uh the chess pieces you know as opposed to what is uh, uh the front runners which this 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 theme and this story this story yeah it's exactly it's definitely not a character driven film it's definitely a um i don't even say plot it's a concept Yes, yeah. I would say that's like a concept-driven film, like that concept of the pa panadrome and the temporal pincer move and the inversion of time is the driving force of the movie and everything else is kind of on the board to facilitate that yeah. part of the story. Well, we don't even know the uh, protagonist's name. We right. Just, yeah. He's the, the protagonist, so... Obviously, to be character-driven, you, you kind of need to know who the characters are, and we don't in this case. Yeah, and that's... I mean, the only characters you get to learn the names are, are uh, you know, Sador, Neil, Kat, um, Aripo. Well, but we only see them briefly. Um, it's true. Who's the other tenant operative, Tony? You were talking about him earlier that Aaron Taylor Johnson played. Oh, Ives. Ives, yeah. Wow. Some people say that, uh, and there was a theory that some people say that he is actually the Michael Caine character that we see mm. in the restaurant. Like, that that's Ives older. Interesting. Yeah, I thought, I was like, hmm, I, don't, I don't know about that one. But he does, <laughs> he does know a lot about that day. <laughs> yeah. So that was, uh, and that and that goes. I think that's, um, has Michael Caine been in every uh, Christopher Nolan film or just about yeah. every Christopher? Nolan yeah, film? <laughs> Nolan tends to. Uh, so this is what's interesting, of course, about him also going with the different composers. Nolan likes to stick with the same actors, same composer, pretty much same everything, um, as far as most of his films. There's a lot of directors that do that. John Carpenter does that quite a bit. He'll he'll keep the same kind of people around. He likes to use the same cinematographer, same I mean he does his own music and gets the same actors, but yeah. 
because you know what they can do and you're like okay i'm comfortable with that I, that lets me work on what i want to work on mm-hmm. yeah yeah that level of trust of being able to you're almost kind of very similar on the same page of of creativity but then you also have you complement each other very well yeah so you see you do see that a lot especially with mark scorsese yeah clint eastwood as well um yeah it's kind of almost like a a theater troupe yeah too i mean you do that with a theater troupe you have your set actors they're going to do a different place but they're the same actors because yeah i mean it's it's that thing too just in in life in general just you build relationships with people that you really enjoy and then it's kind of it's almost that thing it's like why why fix what's not broken you know Yep. But it was interesting that you brought up Duke because I don't think I really ever correlated it before. But that notion of yeah, because of his his physical uh, physical nature of filmmaking, but uh, the way he portrays uh, violence reminds me so much of Michael Mann. So I'd be really interested to to ask Nolan if if he's ever been inspired by some of Michael Mann because Michael Mann has such a similar. Uh, yeah to, to to violence where it's this hyper realistic but it's still so grounded mm-hmm. um, but it's just it, it's so like potent it, it just it always punches you in the gut it's like uh that's you could add that to that stack of nolan's like kubrick man hitchcock mm. <laughs> yeah what i would wonder is if uh he well i don't think any actors have actually complained about working with him i know kubrick pissed off a lot of actors so <laughs> yeah he was kubrick was kubrick was in a, a different world than the rest of us uh, according to most people so uh so it's interesting when i think about it like so after watching it i don't know how many how many times have you seen it now hop Five. Five? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. And and we're half of those this week. <laughs> yeah, two, two, two were this week. Oh wow. So yeah, it's interesting. This is my second viewing. Um, yeah. And I wanted to see it again. Um, even though I was really off put the first. But again, because it's, it's it was that thing where I was so I felt I was more frustrated that I, I wasn't getting it. And that might have been obviously intentional that he wants it's it's because it's again it goes back to uh physics thoughts experiments you know it's a lot of some of these theories are based off of is to get you to, to to keep thinking about it and kind of you know really dig in and analyze um so it frustrated me that i didn't fully get it and, and i would yeah. say that's normal I mean, it's in terms of paradoxes. Paradoxes are supposed to hurt our brains, so I think that's a that's definitely normal. You know, if you totally got it, I might actually be very intimidated. <laughs> I, and I think for me, that's I think that's the thing that I was like I said, thirty minutes into the movie, I was lost, and I just told my brain, "Suck it up, man. We're going to power through this." <laughs> I think that a film that challenges my thinking and thought process while watching the film is something I know that's going to stay with me because I'm going to want it because it's going to make me think about it later. I mean, I thought about mm-hmm. this film afterwards for a while and I watched it behind the scenes and I understood a little more Then I watched the film again. And I understood a little more Then I, you know, then I watched behind the scenes again and I'm like, Oh, okay. Like, and 
I mean, the fact that it took him five years to get the screenplay done and then a couple years to make the movie. I mean, it took him seven years to get this thing done. So to try and understand this in two and a half hours that the movie goes is probably asking a lot. I don't know anybody that saw the movie the first time that was completely like, oh, yeah, it was totally like this. Everybody I I talked to was like, man, that movie was crazy and I didn't know what was going on. It's a step up from his Inception movie. Um, Inception was was I mean, there was a layer to it, but uh, this this. Yeah. level. Yeah, I remember walking out of Inception and, and, you know, basically it was, did he, did he not, you know, and that's how it leaves off. And this is, this is like going to an onion and you're trying to peel all of the layers of the onion to reach into it. It's, it's but every really... time you peel a layer, another layer grows. <laughs> yes, yes, the onion grows back. It, it goes in the inverse it's incredible because I, I do, again, I don't think it's, and I'm totally, I'm totally wrong, uh, obviously, and you know, other people have uh, a different opinion on it. For me, it's not an incredible movie in the sense of uh, emotional content like you get, you got from uh, Interstellar. I felt right. Like I, would, yeah, I, I would agree with you 100%. And I, I, I don't think that was his focus. I really think yeah. his focus was was an experiment on how can I create uh, a movie that shows the concept of temporal time inversion and displacement. And like, how would I tell that story? Uh, I don't know if you could tell this story and have like character depth in it with that at the same time. Yeah. I'm not sure our brains could handle that. That's yeah, the only point. other movie I can think of that does. Uh, well, that I've seen that does a closed loop theory would be, uh, I think it was an indie film. It was called Primer. And I barely remember it now, but I remember it. It did have this case where uh, a guy, guy or guys, I think there were two, developed this time machine. And when they went back, of course, to their the time was solid. They could not change anything into it. And eventually it was a case where you kind of had multiples of them involved there. So that's a different take, but that's the closest I've seen. Uh, Nolan just really just said, you know what? We are going to actually have an upper college level course on yeah. uh, time mechanics. He basically made the from software version of Bloodborne. <laughs> it's basically a Bloodborne film where, you know, from the game where like, you, you know, you know, the any sort of issue that you have with the film, you know, it's because of you. Like you don't, and you know, if you rewatch it and keep replaying it, that you're gonna get better at it. And I think that's pretty incredible how he was able to construct this again as a big block blockbuster movie. Because those, like, yeah, how was the? It's incredible how he sat down with the executives and how does he pitch this movie to them? (laughs) They're going to give him $250 million. And how does he tell them that this is going to make, you know, this is going to be palpable to audiences. It must have been trust there too. Yeah. I think at at the point where in his career now, after inception, the Batman trilogy, 
Interstellar and Dunkirk, I think he can probably say, I want to make a movie, and they go, sure, how much money you need? I don't even think they ask him what it's about anymore. I'm pretty sure they're just like, how much money you need, Chris? Yeah, you're good for it. Props to him, man, like, for being able to get to that position. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Well, and that's a lot of the great directors. That's I mean, there was a point in Kubrick's career where he just he would say, I want to do this, and they're like, okay. <laughs> Hitchcock, Hitchcock was the same way. Um, I'm sure Spielberg can probably pick and choose whatever he wants to do at this point. You know what I mean? They've like, oh. had bombs though, right? Like it's yeah. every one yeah. of theirs. So it's like, was this, con- I couldn't, I forgot to look up. Was this considered a, a critical success even within uh, COVID-19? Did this do well uh, enough? Let's see what the interwebs say. Because I... You're, you're, you're. It made three six three hundred sixty three point seven million worldwide. The production budget was two hundred million. Uh, it was his most expensive original project. So uh, and an analysis said it would need to make four hundred to five hundred million to really break even between wow. advertising. But <laughs> um, that's I interesting think about I, the. Sorry. <laughs> I think this is going to be one of those movies though that's going to become like a cult thing. I I really feel like this is a cult movie. Because this is the kind of movie where I, where I meet people and like, and they they ask me like, if I've seen any interesting movies, I'm like, have you seen Tenet? They're like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're like, what? If, if I know the person well enough to recommend that, like I would not recommend this to certain people because there are certain mm-hmm. people that I'd recommend this to. They're like, that was fucking stupid. What'd you make me watch? <laughs> Yeah, because it didn't. It they they did. It didn't make sense to them. Or and it's, again, it goes back to the thing where you, you watch some movies and sometimes. And I think that's probably what the key difference. You guys, I think, lightly touched on it. Where there's a difference between a movie that doesn't make sense, but it's because you can't buy into the believability of it. Sure, right. But then there's movies movies like this that don't make any sense, but it's only because you feel that there's something underneath there that you're not quite getting. Yeah. The concept like, is over yeah. what you understand. That and was I, like, yeah, it's feel frustrating to me. Cause it's like, again, it goes back to the thing is like, damn it. I should know this. I should be able to figure this out. <laughs> what do you mean, Tony? You're not a super genius. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just an average Joe. <laughs> Wait, you know, I just thought of something. This is too, uh, I mean, I know that the, the point of this show is we get into a lot of stuff retro futurism and time travel and all this but this is two episodes back to back where we have almost a time paradox because mm-hmm. oh yeah i, had, lived, I, I had duke on for uh edge of tomorrow lived i repeat and then we've got tenant we're, we're gonna have to steer this ship in another direction <laughs> in the next episode. i don't know if my brain can take another one like that Oh, but Edge of Tomorrow is so good. I'm looking forward. I'm, I'm caught up except for that episode. I just oh, it's your fun. Of, um, what was the one right before that? You guys were talking about, um, was it Minority Report was the one right before? That was a few back from there. I'm trying yeah. to remember the episode right before Edge of Tomorrow. That. Yeah. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that one because the Edge of Tomorrow is such a good film. I need to rewatch that one because I... I was not expecting it to be as great as it ended up being. Yeah, that's that was my consensus as well. And I th- and I think given time, this is one of those movies that given time, uh, I predict this movie will have a life like the original Blade Runner, where it's mm. analyzed over and over, and probably 
stolen from i mean all great artists steal that's what we do right um so i'm not saying that in a bad way but i'm saying people are gonna there's people that are growing up that want to make films now and they're going to see this movie and they're going to borrow concepts steal concepts and you'll see things later on that they go yeah that was from tenet just like you know you watch a tarantino movie and then you go and watch movies that obviously tarantino watched like i watched the wild bunch recently and i was like oh man this was like the tarantino blueprint prototype movie right mm. here he basically took that idea and ran with it for a while um so yeah Wow, cool. Do you, on um, your fifth viewing, Hop, did you, was there anything that surprised you still or things that? Yeah, you there's like up? little, little things I keep catching. That's how mm. crazy deep this movie is. Like, I didn't catch, I don't know if you noticed this. So, when he's facing himself in the turnstile at the airport thing, he's not trying to shoot himself he's unloading the inverted gun so that those bullets won't be there and then he actually pulls the slide to dismantle it so that the so it's not left to be useful um mm. i was like whoa <laughs> like wow. there's just like that kind of detail in this movie that is crazy to me there's not really any i, I did watch there are some things that some like physicists were saying like well that wouldn't exactly probably work that way and they explained it why in a way that it's also over my head so i didn't even bother <laughs> bringing it up but i was like yeah let's just talk about what the movie talks about can happen because it's a movie we're having fun yeah. yeah he does use a uh i wouldn't say less respected it's just more a more a controversial uh sort of um sci-fi-ish physicist kip um I know within the physicist sphere, he's like not the top one people might go to uh, for what is actually possible. Mm. Um, but he's imaginative, and that works for the movie industry. That's perfect. Yeah, and that's what I mean. That's what I watch film for. It's an escape, right? I'm here. Yeah. I'm here to be sucked into something, and that's exactly what this film did the first time. Even though, like I said, 30 minutes into it, I was like, what the fuck is going on? I could not tear myself away. Even when I was going to rewatch it again the other night, I was like, I'll watch like, because I was getting ready to go to bed. I was like, ah, I don't want to crawl into bed yet. I got like 30 minutes. I'll watch 30 minutes of Tenet. Well, an hour and a half later, I was like, crap, I got to <laughs> Yeah. Because it sucked me in again. Like, um, I really, the, the flow, even though the movie's, you know, the first couple of times you see it, the pacing and the music and the character drive, even though the characters aren't like, we don't get to know these characters. They don't really grow in mm -hmm. a way a little bit like the protagonist sort of when he figures out who he really is at the end, but it's not a huge character arc. It's not like Lawrence of Arabia or anything. Yeah. Uh, or even like Anakin Skywalker's rise and fall through the Star Wars saga. I mean, it's a very small arc, but it's still kind of cool to see. And then also when he realizes who Neil is at the end of the movie, that I didn't notice till the second time that when he saves her and then the boy, I was like, that's the guy. That's Neil mm -hmm. is the son. I didn't, the first time I see it, I watched the movie, I didn't catch that at all. I was too, too melted. <laughs> no, I, and I, I still didn't catch it either until I think one of the videos that you shared uh, brought it to light. And I'm, I, 
do they do they acknowledge it in the film in any ways? Is there any clues? There's a lot of hints. There's oh. a lot, and there's a speech at the end that's pretty much kind of the final like, okay, if you haven't figured it out yet, <laughs> here you go. Well, I know, yeah, that's in the begin at the end of the speech, he reveals that it's basically it's like, yeah, the protagonist is the one that sent him. That's why he knows so much about him through this. Right, but this. right before that, he says, "You're gonna go see Cat and Lenny." He said, "No, it's too dangerous." But he does. Mm. Yeah. And then that's when he recruits Neil. It basically, he, the, the way I'm sort of seeing it is that he and Kat become a thing and Neil becomes like his first agent as a young mm. man. <laughs> I, guess, I don't know. That's how, where I was like, okay, okay. Um, I, I did see him as his first agent too. Um, I, I almost want to say that's even hinted about in the film too. Now, there are some people who would say that that's that, that uh, that's not really true. What's going on? And basically, what they'll do is they'll take uh, Neil's age um, as a kid, and then his actor's age, and say, "Well, the math doesn't add up because so the actor's thirty-four, but he's ten. Um, so then he goes back in time twenty years, but he only goes forward a decade." Um, but I think that's that's probably stretching things a little bit too far to go against what the film strongly infers. Well, what was really crazy is I was thinking that the person that he meets when he comes out of the coma was Neil. Hmm. Because I think, if I remember correctly... Like right, an he, older Neil? Like yeah. Because actually, Neil. You know what? Now that I think about it, I thought the exact same thing. Yeah, I didn't... Hmm. I, yeah. Because no one does the hand gesture, the tenant hand gesture, other than him and Neil, if I'm if I'm remembering correct, correctly. Because you don't see the gesture until Neil does it later. Yes. And, and I was thinking, like, holy shit. And also, too, with the video that Hop sent me when she was talking about the time, how the time works, is the you still age. But if yes, you go yeah. back and you invert, you still live out the period like it would still be like 30 years but then it would be 1990 yeah but wouldn't neil doesn't i mean neil for all intents and purposes that last mission neil does he doesn't make it that's true he's so in that one uh the way i took it is that he gets he gets put so he's already in a loop he's in the larger yeah. loop of things but right. then then he puts himself into a very tiny loop where basically for ever he's going to be going to save uh the protagonist's life right dying, going to save the protagonist's life over and over and over but again then wasn't there three versions isn't there the at one point version? yeah there's yeah. him as a kid him from the future <laughs> him inverted yeah. yeah yeah that's what i mean that's that's <laughs> that's why i was like this movie's freaking crazy but i can't stop thinking about it and, and like I said, Tony, I agree with you that it's not like there's not like a big character thing. There's not yeah. a big like there's not a big warm answer like, oh, this will yeah. solve the world's problems. No, this is literally like, hey, let's melt everybody's brain while you try to figure out how <laughs> inverted time works in an action set piece movie. And I, <laughs> and I think I'm starting to appreciate it more because, again, I just saw it the second time. So I am starting to appreciate it more from that lens. That Yeah. I appreciate it for what it's it represents yeah you know tony you could um 
watch it a third time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so uh, in one of the interviews Robert Pattinson had, he said that he specifically modeled the way his character acts, his mannerisms, his speaking and everything after the late Christopher Hitchens. So mm. knowing how uh, detail-oriented Nolan is, you could then say, okay, did Michael, uh, Michael Caine act at all like Christopher Hitchens? Interesting. And see if that okay. matches up or not. See, now you got to watch it again. I'm telling you. Yeah. It's I again. This is such a long movie. I I get so much props it, to him for being. It, able to it like, is for two and a half hours though, but it doesn't feel like a two and a half hour. Movie. Right. It flies like it's it does. And part part of the reason it flies is it never stops to to catch you up. It never slows down and <laughs> says, "Hey, audience, pay attention." It's like, nope. Strap in, we're going, and you're just like, okay. I have, <laughs> and I appreciate his dialogue in some of the scenes where. He acknowledges it, you know, the line where it's like, does your head hurt? He's like, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, there's so many. It's such a fascinating film. All right, guys. And with that, we're going to leave the audience to go watch Tenant. Let them see what they like. Hit us up on Twitter at Futurist Retro if you got any theories. Um, Duke, Tony, I can't thank you guys enough. Of anybody that is listening to ruminationsradionetwork.com, Tony's got a show, Tony's Tall Tales. Check it out. It's a lot of fun. Check out all our other shows at ruminationsradionetwork.com. Tons of great stuff to listen to. More projects on the way. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, guys, I'm going to go in the turn stop so we can redo this episode uh, in an hour. <laughs> wow <laughs> sounds great <laughs> and then we're gonna do it backwards it'll be like eat dap do do dap do eat did dap no hello bop <laughs> all right see you guys later Oh, <laughs> <laughs>